Every year, this time of year, as we've been saying, it's a great opportunity for us to reflect and refocus ourselves on what it is that the advent, the coming of the Son of God into this world brings into this world and into the lives of those people who know him and love him and have experienced his changing power at work in us. So as we are getting closer and closer to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, my prayer, my hope has been that this year, of all years for you, this would be the one year you're looking at it and going, yes, this time I am actually succeeding at at pushing back a little bit against those shallow habits and cultural preferences and busyness and the to-do and all the things that just press in on us and that can often overshadow the real meaning of this time of year. This year, this year I have found that this is a, a helpful holiday season for my spiritual life. That's been the goal. The title and the theme of this third message in our series is titled Spiritual Growth. Spiritual Growth. I've been reading in the book of Proverbs quite a bit lately, and one of the key themes in that book is the goodness and the righteousness and a very practical encouragement towards people, you and I, who would read these words to grow in knowledge of God. And all of it's grounded in in having a a heart posture of reverence and worship of of God, right? Like, let me just read a few of these passages that stand out in the book of of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the one who understands obtain guidance. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. Treasure up my commandments with you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 tell us, Take instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Or Proverbs 15, 14, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. I I think you see the the theme that's running here in just these verses, that we could cite several others as well. The value of growing in spiritual knowledge is clearly commended and commanded in Scripture to those of us who would live wise and God-glorifying lives here upon earth. We should be set on pursuing spiritual growth, deepening knowledge, deeper relationship with the Lord. And yet, the reality is, though these texts and many others in Proverbs are so clear, the reality is a lot of us fail to pursue that type of growth day by day, don't we? I mean, throughout much of the year, if you kind of look back over the whole scope of the year, you probably would admit that really wasn't the tenor of my day-to-day life the way it probably should have been. I mean, hopefully, we would look back and say, you know, I was growing kind of week by week. You know, I was going to church. I was engaging. I was hearing and digesting the, the sermons. And, and I was growing a little bit kind of week over week if I looked at it. But if we're honest, sometimes that's not even the case if we looked back with honesty, right? right? We can come in here in anger or pride or exhaustion or indifference or busyness or worry or any other kind of things. And we can just kind of sit here and count down the minutes until we check off. I attended church this week from my to-do list box and then go on to other stuff and, and have been here but really not had any spiritual growth happening, right? I mean, we've all been there. That's been true of all of us at some point in our lives for those reasons and for other reasons too, I'm sure. 
So maybe we can't look back and say even week by week we've been growing spiritually. But year over year, well, all of us are going to say we, we grew a little bit, right? Like here we are at the end of 2021, and there's been some growth in me. Not just growth from the numbers on the scale with everything I'm eating at the end of this year. Not just growth of that number that inevitably counts up telling me how old I am and how close to death I'm getting, right? No, we, we want to say, yeah, year over year, at the end of 2021, I'm a little bit more like Jesus than I was at the end of 2020. But these texts in Proverbs here, and many others throughout the Bible, make it really clear the value of growing in spiritual knowledge. Growing spiritually isn't something that we should just content ourselves with as year-over-year growth, or even monthly types of improvement, or week-by-week gaining just a little bit. These texts in Proverbs put forth this picture that's so beautiful and so compelling if we embrace it that we should be seeking to grow in knowledge of God and wisely live in that knowledge of who God is and what he has said. Well, The text tells us we should pursue that like we would pursue treasure. (laughs) Like the Bible says that spiritual growth is far better than silver or gold or precious jewels could ever be. And which one of us, if we're honest... Which one of us, if we had a gold mine, or if we knew there were precious diamonds or gems that were buried in the backyard, how many of us would content ourselves to just go out there one time a year, or even once a month, or even just once a week? Now, we'd be fools if we did that, wouldn't we? If the treasure's right there in our own backyard, we can go out and get it any time that we want it, we'd be out there every single day, wouldn't we? Well, this is where the season of Advent, I think, so beautifully steps into our lives, into the rhythm of our daily lives, hopefully, and can be like a bright light that is flipped on and and shines in the darkness, the shadows that overwhelm us sometimes and distract our views. Advent can be the time of year that helps wake us up. Advent is a beautiful, bright season of celebration, joy, and deep meaning when we approach it intentionally and see Christ and the impact that he brings into the world. In the book of Isaiah, we find several key prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. They were given to the prophet and thus to the people of God about 700 years before he came. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to Isaiah chapter 11 this morning. Isaiah chapter 11. And read of this prophetic statement about who Jesus is and how he would live. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And the start of verse 3. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is one of these great prophetic texts that speak to us about who Jesus is and what he would be like when he came hundreds of years before his advent. It's an incredible text that describes who Jesus is that we will see come true in how Jesus lived when we look at his life and his ministry. And what a way to be described, right? Like if this is the way someone was to sum up who you are, how you live, what you do in your day-to-day life, that'd be, that'd be quite a statement to be made about you. I've been thinking a little bit about how people would speak of me, describe me, define me, because I've I've been reading over the last several weeks a a memoir of a a great Scottish pastor who died in the year 1843. 
The memoir is a biographical account of his life written by one of his close ministerial friends who knew him very well, had good insight into his life, knew a lot of the details and the behind-the-scenes things. And not only is it a biographical sketch, but included are excerpts from his journals, his memoirs, that give us a lot of insight into what was going on in his heart, in his spiritual life throughout the time the biographies are describing. What struck me so greatly as I've been reading this book each evening, just making my way through it as kind of a, an encouragement to my own soul, is how this man was remembered and mourned over when he died. There are several letters and comments that are included kind of as an, an appendices after, after his death takes place, and they're, they're given as these descriptions and these things that people were saying and feeling and writing about this man after he had passed away, and the theme of them is consistent. He was known to be a very godly man, a beacon of righteousness, a strong defender of truth, a pastor who is deeply concerned with the souls of his people, and one who would clearly and convictionally call people towards repentance of sin and towards growth in holiness. And because of these things and all of these letters that are given, he's remembered well and spoken very highly of. Now, of course, when you're reading something like this and you're, you're seeing what someone said about someone else, a lot of it depends on who you're listening to and how they would summarize the life of a person, right? I mean, for some, there's some great things to be said about a person after they pass away because they knew them well and they valued the things that that person values. But at another time, someone else, if you ask them, what do you think about this individual, may have really bad things to say about that person if they don't have those same values and convictions or appreciation, Right? I think a lot of that's true, especially in the case of, of pastors and ministers who, who have their love for truth and their pursuit of truth in their own life. And, the, and if they're faithful ministers, they call people to repentance and they're focused on the health of souls, which can be uncomfortable at times. That can be something highly esteemed by a godly person looking at that life, but can at the same time be greatly despised by a sinner who doesn't like the exposure, doesn't like the conviction, doesn't like repentance being called for in their life personally right? A pastor is not spoken of highly by that type of person. I completely understand that. So these readings that I'm doing as I'm looking at these people, they're godly people reflecting on the life of a godly man and speaking very highly of him. It's encouraging. But leaving behind this, this memoir of this great Scottish pastor for a moment, coming back here to Isaiah 11, look again at this passage about how the life of Jesus is summed up in a few phrases. The character of Jesus is given to us in a few phrases in this prophetic summary. We're told that the Spirit of the Lord was going to rest upon Jesus. And because he was full of the Spirit resting upon him, then Jesus would have deep spiritual wisdom and understanding. He would be mighty in counsel. He would have knowledge and fear of the Lord. Those are the things that would mark the life of this Messiah. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? That the Spirit would rest upon Jesus in such a way that would shape and lead him as he lived that perfect, sinless life that the Bible reveals he has led, and he would sacrificially give up that life as a substitutionary atonement for us, for all of our sinfulness and all of our failures. This was the character of the one who was long promised and came at this first advent. And what's even more incredible to me is not just how highly he is spoken of here, but by who is speaking highly of him here. It's God himself saying this is the character. This is the markers of this Messiah who has going to come. 
These words are not from a mere human who had just a limited perspective. These are the words of God. They're absolute truth spoken about the character and life of Jesus in this prophetic statement 700 years before he would come. And notice those first few words of verse 3 as well. His delight, it says, shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now this right here is not just a throwaway line. In fact, I want us to focus in on this line today because it's at the very heart of obedience and finding the motivation to pursue spiritual growth that you and I so often lack. The reason you and I don't pursue spiritual growth the way we should. The, way, the reason why our life can't be described with these words as Jesus' life is described is because we lack this motivation right here that Jesus had. The key to regular spiritual growth in wisdom and knowledge of God, is not just hearing said, we should do that. It's not just me giving you the right analogy. Now you're thinking of this as gold mine in the backyard or treasures buried, and now suddenly that's it. That's the whole key. That's what you needed. It's not enough just to hear those things. The key to spiritual growth is understanding and experiencing the true joy and delight of growing with God. When we actually obtain spiritual growth, It produces in us joy that makes us long for more spiritual growth, which produces more joy. (laughs) It creates a cycle at work within us. This is what Jesus embodied so perfectly according to this prophecy. His delight was in the fear of the Lord. Now, we know very little about the childhood of Jesus. Basically, we have the birth accounts given to us in a few passages of Scripture. And then Luke gives us this one little glimpse into a scene of Jesus at 12 years old. And I know usually we're, we're focused fully on the birth, but I'm going to jump ahead to 12-year-old Jesus just for a moment as he has stayed behind in Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph have gone off. They're traveling in a large caravan. And after a while, they realize, eh, we haven't seen Jesus for a while. Where is he? And he's not with us. And they rush back to Jerusalem. And burst into the temple, finally see him there. And Mary says, what are you doing? What in the world are you doing staying behind and not following us home? And Jesus' response in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, is Jesus said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Where else would I be? (laughs) Where else would I want to be? Jesus' delight, his joy, stemmed from being in the presence of God, learning more about God, growing in his knowledge of God's word, talking about God with other people. Jesus says, of course this is where I would be. Why would you run around Jerusalem looking? The result of this deep passion and Jesus understanding this was the source of joy in his life was in verse 52 we read, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. If we take that as a summary statement of a period of someone's life, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Like that right there is what marked Jesus' childhood and his teenage years and his young adult life. Up until the the very next thing we get to is Jesus' entrance into ministry as a young man. So what marked that whole period before then? It's that right there. He increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Again, if we were honest, does anyone want to raise a hand this morning and say, yeah, that that sentence defines my experience as a child, teenager, and young adult. I was just growing and increasing in wisdom of God. No, probably not. (laughs) 
Some of us are looking back going, oh, I would give anything to change those years of my life, right? That was, I was, that was as far from that sentence as possible. Now, Jesus understood true joy, true delight is found in growing in our knowledge of God and our obedience to him and our following of him. And so that's what marked him. That was his daily pursuit. He set about doing it day by day and increased day by day in wisdom as he grew. But you and I, again, just looking at the, rea- the contrast of reality here for us, you and I, we often fail at doing this. Despite all the commands, despite all the encouragements we get, we don't often set ourselves about to be daily growing with God. So how are we looking at this in light of the Advent season? How does this fit into this time of year as we're talking about it? Was the coming of Jesus and the perfection that we see and we find in him, was it really just all about contrasting for us? Him coming to, to basically highlight our failures and our unworthiness as broken, sinful people? Is that what we should see this? Is that the light we should view this in? Well, in a sense, that is true. Jesus' coming does expose our weakness and our unworthiness. We should see that. We should understand that this time of year. And it should lead to repentance in us, as we talked about last week. And that should, if we have repentant hearts, that's what produces then deep and true heart-level worship that's in awe of God and his word and his grace and mercy. Because the Advent season isn't just about Jesus saying how bad we are, though it reveals that to us. Jesus didn't just come to expose our sinfulness. He came to bring salvation. He came to bring hope and love and joy and peace into his people as well. This is why we celebrate it this season. Apart from Jesus, as we've talked about so many times, this holiday season that we're in, this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, it promises us all sorts of great things. At the heart of it is the same promise, no matter who's making the promise or how they're making the promise. The promise you are getting, trying to be sold this time of year, is happiness. You can have happiness if you just do whatever it is, the people making the commercial or writing the card or whatever it is, if you just do what they say, get what they want you to get, you'll find happiness, right? Happiness is to be found in these satisfying or decadent foods that you can have this time of year. There are life-changing gifts for you to purchase and receive. There's experiences that will reshape the entirety of your life from this moment on. And you know, at this time of year, we all have that promise sold to us in one way or another, that all of our relationships can be made right. All of our problems and tensions will be removed this time of year if we can just get that perfect moment where the snow's falling outside, we're all inside in our nice Christmas sweaters, drinking a name brand hot beverage, right? With some music playing through Spotify or Apple Music, depending on whoever's making the commercial for us, right? And in that moment, all the worries and all the concerns, all problems, they just fade away. I mean, we could have hated one another walking in the room, but a couple sips of that Starbucks holiday blend. Man, I love you. I love you too, you know? We're being sold this promise of happiness. Every time you watch a movie, every time you see the commercial, this is at the root of it. They're telling you, you can be happy this time of year. You just have to get whatever it is we want you to, to buy. But the reality is that none of that is lasting. In fact, if we're honest, most of us know we never even find those things for a moment in the holiday season. 
No matter how much we spend, no matter how much we go and do, no matter how much we want it, those promises of happiness that are being pushed out over and over again, they're really just lies that we allow ourselves to believe for a few moments this time of year. But Jesus came to bring more to us than just those things. He didn't come to bring us mere happiness, which is good news. He came to bring us hope. He came to bring us love. He came to bring us joy and peace, not just for a few weeks at the end of a calendar year. He came to bring those things into our lives that they would mark us day by day as we grow and are transformed by his work in us. Jesus explicitly tells us the whole purpose of his teaching ministry in John 15, 11. He says, For these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He came to bring us joy. He came to teach us and give us his joy, which marked his life. A fullness of joy in your life. That's what Jesus intends for us. But many of us fail to grasp that, right? And we don't live joyful lives, despite the fact that Jesus has come to bring that to us. The reason is we fail to find joy in the place Jesus found joy. Growing in the knowledge of God through his word produces joy and an abundant life in us. Understanding and beginning to experiencing the joy of spiritual growth by getting closer to God, by understanding his word more deeply, by obeying him, by applying his commands, seeing and trusting in his providence and power day by day, all of that leads us into joy, real, deep, lasting joy. And when you experience that, when you've started to grow in your knowledge of who God is and then experience the joy that comes from that, Like I said earlier, you begin to long to grow more so that as you grow more, you can experience more joy. And it becomes this beautiful cycle of spiritual growth leading to true joy, which leads to further spiritual growth, which leads to deeper joy, and so on and so forth. And this is the cycle God intends for our lives. This is the cycle God intends for us to experience. So hearing all of this, perhaps some of us were were sitting back and we're feeling a little bit of the the weight of guilt and shame for not entering into this, this time of year. Despite a few weeks of of hearing these admonitions, make this a spiritually helpful holiday season, you're like, I I don't know what happened. We're we're December 12th and and I've done nothing to benefit my soul. It's all been busyness. And as much as I've wanted that, it just has not happened. Maybe, Maybe that's some of us here Maybe even you would acknowledge intellectually, yeah, I I hear you. I know God's given me this gold mine and free access to it to grow in the knowledge of who he is. But honestly, I just really haven't cared about that very much. If I'm honest, it just really hasn't motivated me. I haven't really seen it as worth my time to go dig in the gold mine to find the joy of those treasures that are promised there because, you know, I'm pretty good with that level of happiness that I've got. Right? I mean, I'm doing some other things and they make me happy and, and I just I don't know if it's really better if I go do all those other things. Maybe that's the admonition of some of our hearts today. Hear this. If you're feeling any sense of guilt or shame over not getting into this cycle that God's intended for you, understand Jesus came to deal with that sin and this failure in your life too. Jesus is a complete savior. He's come to deal with all of your sins. He lived perfectly. He never failed 
to have this deep sense of joy stemming from spiritual growth, producing joy that God has called us into. He enjoyed all of the good gifts of this world properly. He never got confused about enjoying a good thing and forgetting about the creator who gave him the good thing. He always leveraged it as a tool to worship the God who provided. He did that perfectly. You and I can barely do that when we're having our cup of coffee in the morning, right? I mean, really, as we sip that coffee, we're supposed to think, God, thank you for this gift. And most of us are going, get in my bloodstream. Come on, I'm tired. Because we could never do it perfectly, because we fail so often, Jesus came and lived perfectly and then exchanged his perfection for our failures. He died so that we could have joy and peace and salvation, even though none of us deserve it. The book of Hebrews then tells us because his life was perfect, because his substitution is complete, he's paid for your sins. The book of Hebrews says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And Peter so wonderfully writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The message of Advent, my friends, as I keep saying week after week, is not just about the birth of Jesus Christ. As wonderful as that was, as great and beautiful and bright as those moments were, Advent should lead us to seeing the whole of the life and death and the meaning of Jesus' substitutionary atonement for us. We should see the whole gospel this time of year. And the gospel speaks to our failures and tells us Jesus came and lived and died to take care of all of your sins. So it means your failures in this area, my failures in this area, to not live day to day pursuing spiritual growth and living in the joy that that produces, that was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. You don't have to sit here in sin and shame and try to hide that fact from God or anyone else. We can freely admit, I have not taken advantage of the gift God has given me. And we can ask him to help us right now be changed to begin to take advantage of this great gift that God has given us. So like every week in this series, because of the time of year we're in, I'm wanting to challenge you in a way to specifically try to use this Advent season as a spiritually beneficial, helpful holiday time, right? To make this season more than just a season of slaving at meeting expectations or searching for those fleeting promises of perfect happiness that will never be found despite the cultural promises or your personal efforts. As your pastor, here's what I, I want to do today to, to challenge you in this season, is I want to ask you, would you commit today? Would you, would you ask the Lord to help you over these next 13 days as we lead up to Christmas and then the days left in the end of this calendar year to begin to build the habits of pursuing the joy of spiritual growth every day? And here's specifically how I want to encourage you to do that. If you have a spouse or kids at home, start family worship. No matter how old they are, the kids could be Simon's age, who's not going to understand why are mom and dad sitting down for this moment, but start now. Or your kids could be almost out of high school, 
and you've never done this, and you're thinking, man, for 18 years, I have never done this. They're going to think I'm weird all of a sudden. That's okay. Wherever you are, whatever stage of life, if you have kids at home or you have a spouse at home, begin to set aside a time of family worship, family devotions, if you prefer that term. And if you're single, you don't have someone at home with you, then begin a pattern of private daily worship. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to start this time of year because, if, because honestly, there's no better time to start this. This is the easiest time of the year to begin to develop the habit of family worship, especially to develop it with other people, right? Because you've got the excitement of Christmas 13 days away. And you can say, hey, this is part of our Christmas celebration to get our hearts ready for Jesus. You can incorporate a little gift or a little treat or a little fun activity into that, and you'll get the kids excited. The, and, and furthermore, the, the story of Jesus' birth is one of the well, most well-known stories in all the Bible, right? And it's incredibly rich and incredibly beautiful. So you're going to be able to ask questions of your kids or your spouse that they're going to know the answer to. Hey, who did the angels uh, appear to that, that night? Oh, we all know. The shepherds, right? Like, you're going to be able to start conversations off this story more than any other story in the Bible. And so, so again, here's, here's the challenge. You have 13 days until Christmas Day. And some of you may be using a daily Advent devotional guide like we have in our home. Wonderful. Keep using that. You don't need to, to take this upon that. But if you're not doing something daily, if you don't have a devotional book or some other good resource that's guiding your day, getting you into the Word, getting you thinking about spiritual things, leading you in prayer, then here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. It's a very simple plan. I'm going to challenge you to read a few of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Jesus and then read about the account of Jesus' birth from the New Testament over the next 13 days to guide you to Christmas. So if you have your phone, take a picture of this or write down these references. I'll put a slide up on our Facebook page if you want to go grab it there later. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do over the next 13 days. If you don't have any other plan, over the next 13 days, take a few minutes to read a passage and discuss what it tells you about Jesus. And then sing a Christmas song. If you don't know all the words to a song, that's fine. Sing what you know or go use our Advent worship resource on YouTube. You can play. They've got lyrics on almost all of those songs. And then close in prayer. That's the, that's the whole heart of scriptural worship. Read the scripture, pray, sing. How long that takes you can vary depending on how much you want to do. So on the screen is your invitation. Enter into the gold mine and find the joy of these treasures here. Read these messianic psalms that speak so clearly of who Jesus is and his coming from Psalm 2, Psalm 22, Psalm 110, and Psalm 118. And then read a couple of these key prophetic texts that you're, you're used to. You're going to read these and go, oh yeah, I, I hear that every Christmas. From Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, Isaiah 11, 1 through 9, and Micah 5, 2 through the start of verse 5. And then as we lead up to Christmas, those final few days into Christmas, go read the birth narrative of Jesus and see how much of what you just read through the Psalms and through those prophecies is fulfilled right there in the birth of Jesus Christ. Read from John 1, 1 to 18. Read Matthew chapter 1 one day. Read the second chapter the next day. On the 24th, read Luke 1, and on the 25th, read Luke 2. This is a great way to begin to take advantage of the season. This is a great, easily accessible way for you to begin to incorporate Scripture into your daily life, discussion with whoever you have around you, and lead you into prayer and worship. Begin to build these habits over the next few days leading up to Christmas. Now, on the stage, you've all obviously noticed already that we have some additional things up here this morning. For a, any regularly attending family that is here today, so if you have kids that are, that are here and you are part of, of one of our kids or youth ministries, 
your gift is on this side of the room, <laughs> and it's labeled for you, okay? So when you come up here, look at the little tags, and your name should be up here. And the difference between this side of packages and this side of packages is one thing. It's a book. Everything else is exactly the same in the bags. The book that we're giving to every one of our regularly attending families here today is called Cornerstones, and it's a catechism book. And we've talked about catechism before. If you don't remember what that is, catechism is simply a teaching method of using questions and answers to distill truth down to the person receiving the catechism. So these are family catechisms. They're designed for you to use with your kids, young kids or older kids. You can use it for any of them. The truths are the same, and they're very important. They will tell us who God is and the things God has said, and this can be a great catalyst for long-term growth. If you develop your children with this base of knowledge, they will be set up to grow spiritually in their lives in incredible ways in the future. And as an added bonus, this catechism here is actually very similar to the questions that we use in our Sunday school curriculum. So as you start to go through these, your kids are already going to know some of the answers because they've heard these questions and been taught these answers by their Sunday school teachers over the last several years here. So this is a great win as you go through these catechisms together. So if you're a family with kids here, come get yours from, from this side. It should be labeled for you. If you are not uh, with kids here, then this side, they're not labeled, so just grab any of the bags. Again, they're all identical in that. And if you go, you know, I, I maybe don't have kids in the home, but, but my grandkids are over a lot, or that sounds like something I'd really want to use and learn from, then come see me, and I will get you one of those books if you are going to use it, okay? So we'd love to give you that today. It's a great, great tool. My hope and my prayer is that all of us would begin to really establish over these next few weeks leading us up to Christmas and the end of the year, developing in our lives a rhythm of spending time each day pursuing spiritual growth and the joy that comes from that spiritual growth that leads to more spiritual growth and then deeper joy to more spiritual growth. This is what we're aiming for this year. I'm going to encourage everyone to go back as we end this year and, and think back or go listen again, perhaps, to the sermon series that we started this year with. We talked about spiritual devotions and maybe using a catechism isn't the, the perfect tool for you in the season you're in, but you need to grow in some other way, some other spiritual discipline. We spent 12 weeks talking about spiritual disciplines and how they can be leveraged in our lives to help us get closer to God, how we can use scripture and we can use prayer and remembrance and reflection and worship and evangelism and stewardship and fasting and silence and solitude and how we can steward well the increasing knowledge that we're going to be building up as we pursue joy and spiritual growth and how we can even live times of our lives with meaningful mourning and at other times with joyful celebration all to help us get closer to God. You have a gold mine in the backyard. I mean, the gyms are just right there waiting for you to find them and experience the joy of having them. So if you engage, it will lead to great joy. If you do this, the promises of God are good and for your good. Let's stand together this morning. and We're going to sing a classic hymn. It's drawn from Psalm 98. I'm going to ask Wendy and the team to come and lead us as we sing about the joy that God has brought into the world. You'll know these words, but let's pray and ask the Lord to make them truly words of worship this morning as we close. Father, we thank you for the great joy 
that you have promised us. Jesus, we thank you that you came not just to show us how bad we are. We recognize that this morning, Lord. None of us are perfect. All of us have failed. Even in this, even in entering into the gold mine and finding the treasure that you have called us to find, Lord, all of us have failed in this room. And yet, what you came to do was you came to bring us joy, a fullness of joy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move on each one of our hearts today to long for that and then to begin to seek for that and to experience that. The Lord, every one of us would begin to take advantage of the opportunities before us. Help us become passionate about you. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you, the wisdom of applying your words in our lives. And help us, Lord, feel the joy that comes with deep, true communion, relationship with you. Be with us now as we sing. Help us repent so that now our hearts are primed and ready to make these moments of true, beautiful worship to our ever-deserving God and King. It's in your name we pray. Amen.